the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, brought to you by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Remember that gold and silver can make a really great holiday gift, so you may want to check that out. When I say nuclear energy, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Is it nuclear warheads? Is it Chernobyl, Three Mile Island, scary stuff? Nuclear energy is one of the cleanest, safest forms of energy on the planet. And we've been ignoring it here in the United States more than we should. My next guest will make you rethink that and will encourage you to open your mind to some really super clean safe energy if we can just drop our emotional attachments to the fear. James B. Meggs is with the Manhattan Institute. He's a senior fellow and contributing editor to City Journal. He writes a lot about this stuff. He's super smart. He makes it easy to understand. And he joins us next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. You know, if one could bottle the energy of a dog and its auditory reflexes, we might have clean energy till the end of time. Now, uh, as I say that, my dog Jersey has stopped barking, but we, well, there you go. Um, I was reading a commentary, The Green War on Clean Energy by James B. Meggs, and he is joining us as promised. Jim, I'm so glad to have you with us. I've been interested in nuclear energy and its place in our energy plan for a long time. And it seems to me that if you say nuclear energy to people, they instantly think Chernobyl or something very, very bad, nuclear um, weapons, and they don't go further. They don't look into how this actually could be a part, a big part of our energy plan in America and really worldwide. How do you, how do you think we can change this? Yeah, this is something I've been working on for many years. Fortunately, I think more people are recognizing the value of nuclear power, and it provides about 20% of our power in the U electricity in the U.S. today, and that's all completely reliable and completely carbon-free, which should be something that is a major goal for environmentalist people that are concerned about climate. But the point I made in that article, The Green War on Clean Energy in City Journal magazine, was that too often the same environmentalists who say climate is their top priority fight against the energy sources that we need 
to reduce our carbon emissions and the long fight against nuclear power that goes back to the 1960s is a really great example. And it's really kind of heartbreaking that we don't have more of this reliable energy source right now as we're in a global energy crisis. Well, my understanding is the infrastructure is very expensive. So that first downstroke, if you will, on building nuclear power plants is very expensive, but ultimately it does pay off. And as you said, it is a very clean source of energy. So how how big of a factor is that initial price tag for building more of these plants? It, it's a big factor. And you know, it's maybe a little late to just point fingers on why that is, but it was the overreaction to events like the Three Mile uh, Island accident in the 70s or uh, the Chernobyl accident that led us to produce a regulatory regimen that is actually much, much stricter than we need in order to keep our plants safe. And, and I think that Today, in order to, to get a new nuclear technology license or to get a plant built, the biggest obstacle is that regulatory – those regulatory hurdles. If we had a more rational system, more similar to what they've actually had in Europe and, and a lot of other countries around the world, we would be able to build nuclear plants more economically. And it's – so it's not an inherent – fact of nuclear power that's insanely expensive to build, but it is a reality in our current regulatory environment. So a lot of red tape is what you're saying is standing between the, the build, uh, you know, the building of these, of these plants. Why hasn't anyone taken this on? I mean, we talk all the time in this country and there are it, almost to a religious level about climate change and, and clean energy. And, you know, we're on the one hand, really restricting our our coal, our other kinds of energy, fossil fuels and the like. And it sounds like on the other hand, really tying the hands of of this this nuclear approach with this you're calling it uh, too much regulation. H how can that be rectified? Yeah, well that goes back decades really. You know, and this this regulatory apparatus, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, this is a, a very long-standing um, set uh, of rules and procedures. And I'm not saying they want nuclear to be too safe. I'm saying they make the process of getting that safety verified too complex. These plants actually are very safe. And the new plants that are in development today are even safer and more practical. So this, the, these hurdles are, they really need to be addressed. We are making some progress. One funny thing about nuclear power is, although there are a lot of people, especially on the left, who still oppose it, it is becoming more widely accepted, especially since we've seen what's happened in Europe since the, the start of the war in, in Ukraine. You know, some of the countries in Europe, Germany especially, they thought they were doing the right thing by shutting down a lot of their nuclear power plants. Now, pretty much everyone recognizes that's been a huge disaster. They don't have enough energy for their economies. They might not even have enough energy to keep their homes warm this winter. So as a result, they're going back and they're burning more coal and doing all the things that they said they didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. Their wind turbines aren't getting the job done. So 
a lot of people are now looking at these nuclear plants and saying, wow, you know, that was a huge mistake to shut them down. Could they be turned back on? And shouldn't we be looking to building new ones? So this is a global phenomenon and that's a positive thing, but we're not moving as fast as we should. Yeah, that and that I'm sure is always the frustration. Let's get this moving. Let's get going. What, where is the resistance? You, you mentioned that the, the, there's resistance from the left, and I'm just wondering what what it is and why it exists. If there is so much data that shows that this is clean, that it is safe, etc. A lot of the resistance is really emotional, and if you talk to people about their concerns about envir- the environment. A lot of the concerns are really legitimate and people are looking for practical solutions. They're looking to reduce emissions. They're concerned about climate. They want practical uh, solutions to that. But then deeper down with a lot of people, there's an emotional sense that somehow our modern life is too energy intensive. We're too profligate. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. We're, you know, we've, um, we're too dependent on all of our our cars and our houses, and that we should all go back to living like a simpler, more natural life. And that's a very appealing kind of fantasy for people, but it's dangerous when it gets built into policy. And if you have that worldview and you think about energy sources, wind and solar seem very natural. They're kind of organic. They're kind of like farmer's markets, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, getting your energy from the wind and the sun. It sounds very natural and kind of low tech. Nuclear energy sounds high tech and scary. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you have this kind of emotional environmentalism, you can see that nuclear power is going to be your biggest bugaboo. Well, I, I'm sitting here shaking my head and saying, oh, God, because let's not let emotions get in the way of facts. First of all, if you want to go back to living a cleaner, less energy dependent life, then you're not going to have access to things like air conditioning and refrigeration and, and you know, saving food or heating in the, the winter. As you mentioned uh, in Ukraine, I, I it, it terrifies me to think about. I live in Minnesota. I can't imagine what would happen if they just said, yeah, go back to burning wood to stay warm. And by the way, wouldn't that take us back to, I mean, that, that's not the cleanest form of energy either. So there seems to be this first level, as you said, emotional thinking that has to be overcome. And, and for the facts to get, I, I have a hard time understanding why that's so difficult. Uh, on the other thing that you said, solar panels and the like, I mean, where do we get solar panels and what are they made of? And is that really as clean as it sounds? Oh, we're absorbing energy from the sun. Yes, but how are we doing it? And who is making them? And where are we importing them? And then what goes 
where do they go when they're when they're done? How do we what do we do with the waste of these panels when they're used up? So it just seems to me that there's so much first level thinking going on and not enough depth into these arguments. Why? How do we overcome that, do you think? Well, the questions you're asking are exactly the right questions about renewable energy. I think there's a real place for renewable energy in our power grid. And if people want to get electric cars, I think that's great. But this idea that we're going to solve our emissions problems by going 100% solar, wind, and replacing all our cars with electric cars it is simply not practical. And part of the reason is what you mentioned. Where do those resources come from? You know, we'd, we'd have to increase the amount of mining of lithium and cobalt, right. cobalt and copper and a million other materials by enormous factors around the world. That mining doesn't, we don't really allow a lot of that kind of mining in the U.S. That's happening in places with very poor environmental controls, sometimes with child labor. Those mm -hmm. materials are mostly being processed in China, which has very poor controls on pollution. So when we look at these technologies that look clean on our end, we're not actually honestly looking at their global uh, environmental footprint. And why, and why aren't we? And why isn't that being publicized more? I don't get this. I don't get why only half the story is being told. Yeah, it's, again, I think part of it is that emotional appeal of, of these technologies and and the, you know the legacy of of past decades but i see glimmers of hope here I, I do see more people being interested in in nuclear power which is our best i think cleanest energy source and mm -hmm. if we save the nuclear plants we have now start building new ones we don't need to blanket the country with wind turbines and solar panels. Those have their place, but they they really can't be the backbone of our power system. And I'm so, but I'm encouraged that nu support for nuclear power among people who really follow these issues closely is actually a, one of the rare bipartisan uh, topics where the Trump administration was very supportive of research into nuclear power. And the Biden administration, somewhat to my surprise, really has been pretty solid on this issue. And so, you know, maybe this is something we can come together on. Wouldn't that be nice on so many fronts? Um, Jim Meggs, our guest. And when we come back from this break, I want to ask you about this recent news about fusion. What is fusion? What does all of this mean? Jim Meggs will give us his take when we come back. Well, energy and the restrictions on it are in part responsible for the rising gas prices we're seeing all over this country. And we've got inflation, we've got the stock market all over the map. And you're thinking to yourself, it's enough that I have to go to the grocery store and you know, use coupons and skimp and save, and I can't spend what I used to, and my dollar doesn't seem to be stretching as far, and I don't know what the stock market's going to deliver to my 401k. Well, this is where precious metals comes into play. And when it comes to investing in gold and silver, the only people I trust are legacy precious metals. And you can find them at LegacyPMInvestments.com on the internet. So right now, this this thing, this rough patch, whatever you want to call it, that we're going through, recession, is very similar to November of 2008. And if we go back then and look at the people who invested in gold, well, they saw significant gains. And others simply lost their retirements. 
Now, there's still time, but it's the window's shutting. So call Legacy Precious Metals. Just go ahead and give them a call. Find out how gold and silver can help protect against a weakening dollar, can help hedge against inflation, can give you benefits that the stock market just can't give, and how much or how little you need to put into your your personal financial plan. Let me give you their number, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Okay, so we hear in the news in the last week, there's been this breakthrough in fusion energy. Um, how can, can you put in layman's terms for us? What is this? What is fusion? Fusion is a type of nuclear energy that comes from jamming two atoms together. And when they fuse, they release an enormous amount of energy. It's the source of energy that powers the sun. And that's in contrast to the nuclear energy we have today, which is fission. That's when you take an unstable element like plutonium or for energy, you use uranium. As those atoms break apart, they release energy. Okay. Both sources of energy are you release uh, you know large amounts of power, but fusion is a completely different magnitude. People have been working on trying to harness the power of uh, fusion energy for electric power going back to the 60s, maybe even the 50s. And the joke in the field is always that fusion power is 50 years off. When I was a kid, I actually lived near one of these research centers near Princeton, New Jersey, that did some of the pioneering research in this. And I remember, you know, in, in hearing about it as a, in grade school and and thinking that, that you know, by the time I grew up, we'd have fusion power. And now I'm thinking, like, maybe by the time my grandkids grow up, we'll have fusion power. <laughs> Well, so we've made this breakthrough, and what exactly did this breakthrough? Just that we're able to harness it—is that the breakthrough? We don't even—we ha- can't haven't even gotten to the point of being able to harness it. Okay. Honestly, okay. so so this breakthrough is exciting, but it doesn't mean we're going to be turning on our light bulbs powered powered by fusion power, uh, uh, you know, anytime anytime soon. The key with fusion is you need to force these atoms together. They use it's usually use some form of hydrogen. You need to force them together in conditions of extremely high heat and pressure. Kind of imagine something that would happen in the middle of the sun. Okay. And there, there's different ways they've tried to do it using magnets and other things. Um, and that takes so much energy that even if you can get a little bit of a fusion reaction going – until now, there's all, you've always had to put way more energy into it than the amount of energy you get back. And Got these it. reactions are only lasting you know, fractions of a second. Okay. Now, for the first time, using a new technique, using laser beams to concentrate the, the energy, they've, ab- they've been able to get a little bit more energy out of it than they put in. So that's a huge step forward. Getting to the point where you could make a fusion reactor that would produce meaningful amounts of energy for, you know, weeks and months on end. We are, that's just such a long road from where we are. And I'm optimistic we'll get there, but we shouldn't stop doing the other work we're doing to improve our energy system while we're waiting for fusion because it, okay. it could still be 50 years. <laughs> it's still 50 years away. How can that be? It was 50 years away 50 years ago. Well, we find as we move along and progress through science and continue to work with science that 
Things aren't always uh, on our schedule, but this is interesting. And, and the fact that it's out there and the, the, the conditions, though, that you described that it has to happen under such a high magnitude of heat. Like you said, this is we're looking well into the future. But how confident are you that this can be, again, a safe form of energy production? Well, if it works, it's completely safe. I mean, there's no radiation. There's no, it, there are no emissions. It would be really almost like a miracle uh, if we could make fusion power work without requiring, you know, a $20 billion gadget to do it. Uh, so, you know, fingers crossed. And <laughs> I, I, I'd like to see them keep working on it. I don't think it's the most important thing we should be focusing on in terms of energy okay. because the fission, the current type of nuclear power that we have now, if it was invented today, climate activists would be hailing it as a miracle. You know, clean energy that can produce enormous amounts of, of, of power from very inexpensive fuel. We would be we would be dancing in the streets for this new form of energy. But because nuclear power has the old associations with nuclear weapons. And because of a couple of these accidents that have happened over the course of this power system, it's been demonized to some degree. And the, the risks have been exaggerated, but also the benefits have been underappreciated. So we don't actually, I think, appreciate enough the, the nuclear plants we have today. And we've virtually stopped building new ones. At least we had until very recently. And now there's a couple of new, small, super safe, new, new nuclear power plant designs that are, that are starting to be deployed as, as tests of these new technologies. That's exciting. But it, but, you know, for, for the last 20 years, the construction of, traditional large nuclear power plants virtually ground to a halt in this country. I have this idea. Let's just, let's invent a story that there's a brand new form of nuclear energy. And it's sort of like what used to be, but it's brand new and it's really safe. And we'll just sort of pretend that this is a new discovery, drop all the old associations with Chernobyl and Three Mile. And, and then maybe we can just sort of fool everyone into saying, hooray, let's dance in the streets. We found clean energy. What do you think? Well, you know, we don't really even need to fool people. This is this is kind of true. There are there are several actually around the world there are probably more than 50 startups working on new types of of reactors and these range from scaled down versions of the traditional kind of reactor we have in today's power plants which use water to cool down the core and transfer the energy. Some of these are uh, do that, but but in a unit small enough to fit in, uh, like a say a large farm silo, and then others use things like high temperature gas or even molten lead or molten salt to be the coolant that moves the energy out of the uh, the reactor. These things are really cool. They're super safe. They literally, if something goes wrong in these reactors, they literally just shut down by themselves. I mean, the operators could could go home to bed and, right. and the plant would just shut down by itself with no risk whatsoever. They can be built in factories. That means they can be, you know, not exactly mass produced, but produced on kind of an assembly line. And that will rapidly bring down the cost and make, make sure they can be produced at very high levels of precision. And they can be deployed in all kinds of interesting places like 
We have a lot of coal-fired fire plant, coal-fired power plants that have shut down in this country. What a good place to put in a miniature nuclear reactor. You know, the power lines already go right to it. If you want to power, that's interesting. Yeah, if you want to power, say, New York City with wind power, you have to put those turbines way out in western New York State. Yeah. But yeah. there's all these old coal plants not too far from the city where you could put these miniature reactors and create a lot of power in a very usable location. You bring that up. Is that being discussed? Is that yeah. something that people yeah. are talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. I mean, and as I said, there's some support for this in um, in our government. The Department of Energy is funding a number of, of research projects to build, you know, sort of test examples of these of these reactors, but really hook them up to the power grid and see how they work in producing power. So that's a really promising um, movement. And I'm, you know, I think if you say 50 years for fusion power in the, here, I think we might be seeing these things become making meaningful contributions to our power supply within, say, um, less than 10 years. Wow. Okay. That, so that's exciting. The, one of the other things I want to get your take on, because you are so knowledgeable about all this, the, the average person is not that myself included. I try to stay up to speed on these stories, but it all sounds so incredibly complicated. Like how do these people figure out exactly how to make this stuff work and what temperatures and what substances and what molten this or that. And I just wonder, do we, are, how do you look at the brain power that we have in the United States in terms of being able to keep up with the rest of the world on this stuff. Do we have young people today are so motivated by creating apps or instant wealth or whatever it is. Do we have the devotion and the mind power to continue to progress at the rate that we should? That's such a good question. And you're right. I think a lot of focus in engineering at some of our top engineering schools, the last couple of decades has been towards people going into various aspects of the digital economy. Mm -hmm. But but I think that, you know, traditional mechanical engineering is making a comeback. And there's a huge number of young people who are really excited about the potential of nuclear technology. There are, I, there's one startup that was, that was founded by a couple of graduates of MIT and it went through the same development process as this outfit called Y Combinator that funds all kinds of digital startups. Well, here's a nuclear power startup that went through the same process, got in, got in investors from the same people who are investing, in trying to find the next Facebook are also investing in trying to find the next nuclear reactor. And they're funding these young entrepreneurs. We certainly have the brain power. The U.S. was the leader in these technologies through the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. And then we slowed down and we allowed other countries to kind of take the lead, including Russia, South Korea in particular. And there's no reason we can't be the world leader in this technology again. So not only could we build power plants that help the U.S., you know, power our economy, we could also export this technology and, and have that be a major business, a major high-tech business for U.S. manufacturing. Maybe we should get a couple of these kids in front of Shark Tank and Mark Cuban and all those guys to fund it, or Elon Musk needs to, yeah, who knows, but it, it, it would be so neat. I, I know this happened at Lawrence Livermore, right, up in Northern California, uh, yes. where this this breakthrough in the fusion was made. 
And my dad went to Cal Berkeley. I went to Cal Berkeley. And so there's an attachment with Lawrence Livermore. And I know that. And so I've certainly met my fair share of engineers who wanted to work on these things. But I just, my hope is that they're still there and they're not just all being seduced by, as you talked about, the digital frontier out there that we've kind of, I, I don't know, it's no longer really a frontier. We're there. We've, we've, we're mastering the digital. But uh, if people are sincerely, interested in cleaner energy boy i hope this i hope this goes forward um i guess the last thing i want to ask you before we let you go is your top line concern like you said we can't just focus on fusion right now fission is still really important and you said that we cannot have solar and wind as the backbone how would you explain to people why that is not a realistic backbone and why fossil fuels are are still important. Wind and solar produce a lot of electricity pretty cheaply when they produce it. But a lot of times when people talk about the price of wind and solar power, they're only looking at those periods when the wind is blowing or when the sun is shining. (laughs) And in a lot of areas, that's less than a third of the time. And so so what and, and it's not always predictable. You know, the wind can blow very strong for three or four days and then stop for a week. So it's not even like, okay, we know we're gonna have solar power during the afternoon, but not at night. Right. It's it's much more erratic than that. So you have to design your whole power grid to counterbalance these wild swings in power from these other sources. And it's doable, but it's very expensive and difficult. People always say, oh, well, we'll back it up with batteries because batteries keep getting better. But batteries remain very expensive. And it's not like Moore's Law with microchips where, you know, the batteries are going to get twice as good every uh, every couple of years. It doesn't work that way. There are chemical limits to, to, to batteries. And as you mentioned earlier, the materials needed for these to – you know, back up our whole power grid with batteries would require enormously destructive um, increases in mining around the world. So, so if we if we follow this illusory path of trying to do everything with wind and solar, we could find ourselves in the position Germany's in right now, where it it's breaking down, and they wind up going back to the dirtiest source of power, which yeah. is coal. Oh, yeah. Now we do need we do we we do still need our our. Uh, our fossil fuels. And fortunately, we have a lot of of natural gas in this country. If we don't ban fracking, that natural yeah. gas is a relatively clean source. It's actually helped us reduce our carbon emissions because it's so much cleaner than coal. And it's also good for a lot of other industrial purposes. So we're lucky to have that that energy supply. We shouldn't demonize it. Yeah. I do like to see us gradually moving to cleaner and cleaner sources. I think everyone would like that. You know, it's it's just that we can't cut off our nose to spite our face. That's that's the one thing that we cannot do. Um you can find him at he's James B Megs on this on the byline, but Jim, we appreciate your time so much. Uh we will make sure that people know how to get you on Twitter and all the rest because your your writing is important and it's educational and informative and we really appreciate you coming on with us. Well, it's great to talk. Jim Meggs, and uh, thanks everyone for listening to this edition of Sideline Sanity. Be brave, think about the future of nuclear energy, and do good. Let's pursue it and see if we can get cleaner.
Happy to talk once again with Charles Thorngren, the CEO of Legacy Precious Metals. You know, I think it still is confusing to people, uh, some people, uh, as to why a precious metals investment would be a worthwhile one, particularly at this time when they're thinking, I'm doing all I can to put gas in the car. Why is now a particularly good time? And we'll go from there to how small of an investment is worthwhile for someone? You know, a great question. And I think the the importance of why really comes into the fact that we have to save for ourselves, whether it's a little here, a little there, whether it's making it a plan and putting out so much a paycheck, whether it's making sure we fund our retirement account. We have to realize we are responsible for ourselves in the long run. <laughs> you mean that no one else is going to ride up and save us, you know, on some white steed? It ain't going to happen. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. You know, the, and anyone who's promising to do that is getting ready to take advantage of you in some form or fashion. Yeah. And so, so if, if I'm an investor, a potential investor, and I'm looking at legacy precious metals and I'm saying to myself, yeah, I, I, this sounds smart. I don't have a lot to spend. What would you tell that person? I would say, do what you can. If you never start, you never get there. So the most important step you can take is saying, I'm going to take care of myself and my family. I'm going to make it a plan. I'm going to take action. I'm going to start in the way that's comfortable for me. That's the important thing. The first step is always the hardest. But once you take that first step, the second step is easier. And then you're moving. And then once you're in motion, it's hard to stop you. So that first step, most important step. I always tell people they can call and talk to an IRA expert or, or check out the, the guide that they can download for free, the investor's guide. What, what is the number one question that you get from people who are first-time investors? The biggest question I get, is this right for me? That is the question. And that comes from everyone. So so everyone's asking the same, is this right for me? And yet we're all so unique. And, and yet it, it is a sound investment for just about any portfolio, isn't it? It is. We, even though we're all unique, that uniqueness is going to tailor the way we begin the investment. Okay. But we're all in the same situation. That's the one thing I think we seem to forget in today's society. Whether you agree with somebody or not, we're in this together. America is in this transition that we're in right now. We're dealing with the same issues. Some people like them, some don't, but we're all in it together, right? So the need is the same. How we prepare and how we invest is what changes from person to person, but we all have that same need. It's a great point. And again, I encourage people to, to, to just make the call, pick up the phone. That step is always the hardest. I'm not sure why that is in any kind of effort that you make in life, whether it's weight loss or exercise or investing some way to better your life. It always seems like that first hurdle is, is the challenge. Uh, but when they call, who, who are they going to talk to? Who, what, what's going to be on the other end of the line for them? Great question. You're, you're going to speak with one of our customer representatives and their job is not to sell you metals, right? But we have a much different approach. We're going to answer all your questions. We're going to show you what options you have. And on the rare occasion, this isn't right for you. We're going to say this probably isn't right for you. Um, we have a gold company here, but you know, I, I say it all the time. What we actually deal in is customer service. We want each and every individual that calls to get the answers they need to be able to make the decision that's right for them. And we want to do that in a way that's not pushy, that's not salesy, 
And that's what makes my team so special. We care about each and every caller. And we're going to show you what options you have, and then you get to make an informed decision. So don't be afraid of the phone call. It's the best thing you can do. And this is why I am so honored and I feel privileged to be sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. They're the ones that I'm going to deal with. And I encourage you to pick up the phone, give them a call, even easier. Go check out their their guide. It's a free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. But as you said, Charles, pick up the phone. You're going to talk to someone who can answer your specific questions and get get the ball rolling, get, get started, do something that is a long-term play for your family's benefit. Charles, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always great to be here. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon intelligence agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the Intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.